listening to Connection Church's podcast. When we sing uh, that song and the last part talks about how his blood was shed for every moment, the thing that had been on my heart all week is just talking to you guys today about hope. And what I felt like the Lord put in my heart for this service specifically is that hope's found in someone, not something. Hope is found in the person of Jesus. And so many times we look for hope, we look for what we think can fill us in other places. I was thinking about the woman who, uh, the Samaritan woman that Jesus met at the well and how she was looking for the satisfaction down in this well, but the well of the living water, the well that would bring satisfaction was in the person of Jesus. And I wonder how many of us today are up against circumstances, are facing things in our lives, facing sin, facing struggles in our lives. And we're looking for something to save us. We're looking for something to satisfy us. When the one who truly satisfies is Jesus. The one who satisfies is the one true God who gave his son so that we could have life. And his son now sits at the right hand of the father and he sent his spirit to us to fill us, this living water of God, the Holy Spirit in us. Let's encourage you in this moment, maybe just take a second. What is it that you're struggling with? Is it fear, worry? Is it condemnation? Is it something you're facing this week? Something with your health? Take a minute, submit that to the Lord and allow Allow God to show you how big he is in comparison to what it is you're facing. Because our hope is in a person, it's in Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for your heart for us, your love for us, your grace, Jesus, that has saved us. Lord, we thank you for being here with us right now. Jesus, I thank you that our hope is not just for, for yesterday, our hope is not even just for tomorrow. Our hope is for right now in the person of Christ. And I thank you that you promised where two or more gather in his name for your purposes, God, that you would be there. And so I thank you that you're here now in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. How's everybody doing? Woohoo! All right. I'm excited about today. Hope you are. Um, we're going to be continuing uh, this uh, book of uh, Revelation. We're going to be in verses 4 through 8 today. But before we jump in, I want to tell you something that's really on my heart, um, something that I hope you'll be a part of in some way. Joey mentioned it, but I want to mention it again, and that is these mission trips to Honduras. Um, we got an opportunity to go over there and build a church uh, for a, a pastor um, who's been doing this for a while. Uh, and, and we want to go and help them. The thing that I felt like the Lord really put in my heart for us in regards to this is that there have been a lot of people who have been very faithful to us, um, who've been the hands and feet of Christ to us to provide a building for us, the body of Christ, the true church to worship in. Now, I feel like what God put in my heart was for us to be faithful to go and build their church. 
And so um, I want us to be a part of that. Uh, I'm going to be a part of that. My plan is right now that the first week of June, um, I'll go with my oldest son and we'll be a part of building this church and uh, being the hands and feet of Christ there. And so pray about it. If you have questions about it, there'll be people outside these doors uh, when you leave here today who've been over there before who can fill you in on any questions. Listen, uh, on anything that you need to know. Uh, if you have questions about money and how can I get the money, we'd be glad to help you with that. But um, let's use our gifts, our talents, and our resources. And let's, let's be faithful to these folks and, and to God. And let's uh, be his hands and feet for them. So just at least pray about it and see how God would have you be involved with this. But uh, I'm excited about it. Can't wait to see what God does through it. And so I hope you'll be a part of that as well. Um, but if you have any questions, you can ask them outside. Uh, right after the, the service is over and they'll be at the next steps table. So Revelation chapter one, verses four through eight, we're gonna continue this series, the Revelation. Um, and uh, it, it's funny how the book of Revelation sort of freaks us out a little bit, right? Um, but it's, it's one of the books that really should be a great blessing to us. All of them should be. This is the one that promises a blessing to those who read it, who hear it, um, and who do what it says. Um, it, it shows us a revelation of Jesus from Genesis to the book of Revelation is a progressive revelation of God. And so this revelation of Christ is no different than the rest of the Bible. Um, it puts it in different words, and you're gonna see today, uh, it, but that it, it does reveal more about who God is. And today I wanna to talk to you about hope. I wanna to talk to you about um, this great revelation of Jesus and how this revelation of the, specifically the scriptures we look at today bring hope into our lives. Um, and, and so as you look at this, I want you to be thinking about that. I want you to think about wherever you're at and whatever the circumstances are that you're up against, whatever it is that you're struggling with. Maybe there's something in your life that's just been plaguing you. There's hope in that. There's still hope. As long as there's breath in your body, there's hope for you in Christ. And as long as there's breath in your body, God's not done. And so we're gonna believe that today and we're gonna live that out as a church. And today I wanna talk to you about that out of John 1, four through eight. So if you'll turn there, I wanna read to you John 1, four through eight and talk to you about it a little bit as we go along and then we're really gonna dive in um, after I pray. So it says uh, in verse four, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. So this is kind of like his greeting. It'd be kind of like you writing, dear so-and-so. This is his greeting to them, a little longer than dear so-and-so, but it's his greeting nonetheless. And it says it's written to the seven churches. These were seven specific churches in Asia that he was writing to, but also the number seven indicates that he's writing to the whole church, the complete church. And so what I want you to see is that this is still applicable today. Um, John was writing this to the church universal, the big C church. And so it still applies to our lives today. The next couple of verses, I want you to see that he really lays out the Trinity of God. He really says, this is who is sending you. You're going to see grace and peace. And so it comes from this Trinitarian God. Now I know the Trinity can be kind of um, uh, mysterious, right? Nobody can fully explain it, but it's necessary for us to see this. And it's necessary for God to work in three persons in order for us to have salvation. And we'll talk a little more about that in just a minute. But listen to this. It says, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And so this is referring to the father, okay, of the Trinity. 
All right. It says then, and from the seven spirits before his throne, the seven spirits can be translated the sevenfold spirit. And basically, again, this perfect spirit, the Holy Spirit, um, we're going to see in a little bit that this comes out of Zechariah 4, 1 through 10. But he's referring to the Holy Spirit in this. And so from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, pretty self-explanatory, who is the faithful witness. It's important, the faithful witness. He's the firstborn from the dead. So him being the firstborn from the dead indicates that there will be more who'd come um, later to be born from the dead. Um, referring to us who believe on Christ and the ruler of the kings of the earth. It says to him who loves us, meaning Jesus, and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. He says, look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be, amen. I am the alpha and the omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the almighty. Let's pray, God, thank you for your word and thank you for its power. Jesus, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. God, let our hearts be open. I pray that we would not be obstinate to your word, but that we receive it gladly and it'll produce fruit in our hearts, God. Let us not be just a good message, but let it come with power and conviction and just the explosiveness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. How many of you have ever found yourself in a situation that just seemed pretty hopeless, right? Situation that seemed hopeless, I think probably a lot of us have. Um, and, and I found myself in that when I was about 10 years old. Uh, we were um, out doing some hunting um, and we ended up uh, hopping on somebody's tailgate going and just to go down the road a little ways. And I don't know what got into them. I don't know what the hurry was, but when I got on the tailgate, they just basically floored it. And so I'm barely dangling on the tailgate, holding on to this day. I still don't know exactly how I held on because I was kind of in the middle. I didn't really have anything I could grab hold of. Had a gun in my hand. I'm like, okay, I'm about to die. Had like one cheek on, one cheek off. I'm like trying to balance and trying to just stay on the tailgate. And I remember thinking, if I fall, the first thing to hit is going to be my head. I'm going to be dead. And so I'm literally thinking this is not going to end well. And then this week I was thinking about that and I was like, how big of a redneck are you if your nearest death experience happened by falling off of a tailgate, right? And so I realized that is pretty redneck, but the thing that, that happened in that moment is I felt like I didn't have any hope and you have that, that feeling like everything's kind of closing in around you, you can't do anything about it. And here's the thing I know is that a lot of us in here today have that feeling, but it's not in regards to something like that, it's in regards to other pressures that are on us. Specifically, a lot of us have that feeling when it comes to our life and sin and things in our life, these stresses and things that cause us to sin, um, these different uh, patterns in our lives that we can't seem to break. And what I want you to see today is I want you to understand one, that those things are very real and we all face them, but two, that there is hope in those things. And the hope comes in the person of Christ, as I said to you earlier. As we look at this, um, I want you to really grab hold of a couple of things. In verse, Re Revelation 1 in verse 5, it says this, it says, that he has freed us from our sins. It says to him who loves us, this is meaning Jesus, and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Here's my question. Do you really feel free from sin today? Do you really feel the love of God in your heart today? Like, is, would that describe you? That I'm, I've been freed from sin, um, no sin has a hold on me any longer. 
I've been, it's all been just taken away. Here's the thing that I would love to know. I'd love to see a show of hands. How many of you would say that there's at least one sin in your life that you struggle with? Something that just continues to plague you. Even uh, if we were honest, we'd say, if I could get rid of this one thing, my life would be different. My life would be so much better. It'd be, it'd be completely transformed. And, and today I want you to see that there is hope for us in this. One of the verses that jumped out at me in this text this week, and I couldn't get it out of my mind when I was running or when I was working out, when I was uh, just in the yard doing yard work, whatever I was doing, um, this verse just kept popping up in my head. And it's the verse that says that Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. And I was thinking about that and what that means for us. It means that Jesus is faithful. Um, He's a faithful testimony to the plan of God. He's a faithful testimony um, to the salvation of God. He's a faithful demonstration of who God is. Um, He showed us the reality of God. And and I was thinking about how faithful God is. In fact, on days that are really hard when um, I can feel somewhat hopeless, one of the things that I do is I think about how faithful Jesus is. And I realize that the God who started this in me is going to finish this in me. When I look at God's plan from Genesis to Revelation and I see how it just goes and how determined God is to fulfill his plan of creating a people for himself, I realize that God hasn't quit on me and he continues to work. And the reason that I have hope in that is because Jesus is the faithful witness. God is faithful. The Bible says that even when we're unfaithful, God is faithful because he cannot deny himself. In other words, he doesn't know how to be unfaithful. And so we have this God But here's what convicted me this week. And so since I got convicted, I want to convict you. Since he's the faithful witness, what the Lord really put in my heart is how faithful are you? And it began to challenge me and I began to think about my life and I began to think about the conversations I have in my office with people and the things that we see come through the church. And here's where I'm at, guys. My heart is troubled for people. My heart is burdened for people because I see the trouble uh, that, that, that people are in. And here's where it really troubles me is I see how conflicted we are about how we live. I see us trying to find ourselves in things that only bring death and not life. My heart's troubled at the poverty of our spirit, the poverty of our souls and the things that we're running after. See, you don't get into ministry because you hate people. You get into ministry because you love people. And what I don't like is watching people ruin their lives, watching people live unfaithfully to God and it destroying themselves. And and I just want to ask you that question. If Jesus is the faithful witness, are we following in his footsteps? Are you living faithful? How about with the things of your eyes? Are you living faithful? Are those, are your eyes committed to Christ? You know, there's always going to be temptations. There's always going to be things that come against us, but how we handle the temptation is what makes the difference. It's temptation is not sin. It's whether we go after the temptation. Do, do we see things that we know aren't good? Do we see things that we know are against God's will and continue to go? Do we still click on things and look at pornography and things that, that aren't good for us, that aren't good and glorifying to God? See, the thing about it is when we live faithfully for God, what it ends up doing is it's good for us and it glorifies him. It's not just God saying, if you need to do this because I said so, God knows what's best. But are our eyes his, do they, are, are, we, are we still doing things, looking at things that aren't bringing glory to God, nor is it good for us? How about with our mind? What are we saturating our minds with? 
Because here's the thing I can tell you, whatever goes into your mind is eventually gonna settle in your heart. We've got to guard what goes into our mind. If you put trash in, you're gonna get trash out. When I was in youth ministry, I used to tell this all the time. I would tell people, you know, it's like um, to think that you can put trash in and get something godly out would be like us thinking that we can put trash in a trash truck. It goes to the landfill, dumps it out, and all of a sudden it's like pearls and gems and stuff like that. That doesn't happen. And so whatever goes in is going to come out, especially when it gets squeezed, especially when we get to that point where we feel like we have no hope. What's in us is going to come out. And sometimes, most of the time, for many people that I see, it's not good because what happens is pressure starts mounting, things start going, we're up against a wall, and pretty soon we start looking for an exit to escape. It might be drugs, it might be alcohol, it might be an affair, it might be all of these different things that we begin to look for and to try to find a way out. And none of them are good. When we're thinking about being faithful, how faithful are we with our bodies? How faithful is, listen, in Romans 12, 1, he tells us in light of the mercies of God, and in other words, in light of what Jesus has done for us, we should offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That means offering our whole self, our bodies included. See, here's the thing that hurts my heart and that I struggle with when I see it. I see so many people that think they can somehow um, satisfy this longing, this eternal longing of their soul by satisfying something between their legs and it never works. And we could say that a lot nicer, but the point is it hurts. When we go after it, and whether you're married or whether you're not, sex outside of the context of marriage in which the way God defined it is only harmful. And I don't tell you this because I don't love you. I tell you this because I do. God calls us to live a certain way because it's good for us and it's glorifying to him. How about our gifts and talents? Are you using them for the kingdom? Are we using them to exalt Jesus or to exalt ourselves? Are we using them to build his kingdom or to build our kingdom? How about money? Cow, right? Anybody likes to tell you, it gets really tense when you talk about two things, sex and money. But both of them are bringing us down. Both of us are destroying lives. The Bible says that where our treasure is, there our heart is also. Where's your heart? Where is it? Does God have it? Does, does, do our resources go to build his kingdom or build our kingdom? What are we doing? How about this one? How about are we faithful with our mouths? Are we faithful in building people up or are we tearing people down? Are we lying or are we telling the truth? Are we lying to our spouse? Are we lying to our, our, uh, our kids? Are we living a lie? that only we know about? What is it about your life that no one else knows? Because if they knew, you feel like there'd be no coming back from it. I wanna tell you there's hope. There's hope even in that place. There's hope in Christ. There's consequences to sin, but there's hope in Christ. And we can experience that hope. With all of that said, see all of those things are indicators of our heart. We realize that unfaithfulness is a struggle. That means it points back to our heart. It points back to the struggles, but they originate in our heart. 
And the problem is we need to come to somebody who can do a work in our heart. See, the problem for us is too many times we go about our life and our Christian walk trying to modify our behavior rather than coming to the behavior modifier. We go, we, we come after this thing and we approach it from this standpoint, I'm gonna just change some things. I got a text from uh, our youth pastor, a group text today that asked for a lint brush. It's like, is there a lint? I'm calling him out right here. He'll get me next week probably. He'll do something to me. But, but I was like, a lint brush? Why do you need a lint brush, right? Obviously to get lint off. I'm like, what in the world? But then I thought about that's how a lot of us live our lives is we try to clean off the outside. We try to wipe it down and make it look good. But on the inside, it's death. And see, God wants to do something about that. God doesn't want it to be some circumstantial hope. See, our hope in Jesus is not circumstantial because Jesus is outside of our circumstances. And so we can have hope in all situations, but it only comes when our hope is placed in Christ. Why are we unfaithful? Because of unbelief and misplaced hope. So we don't really believe that God can and will do everything he's promised. And so we place our hope in things and in places and in people that cannot satisfy it. And so I want you to see that. I want you to get that. I don't wanna see our lives being ruined. I don't wanna see our potential for the kingdom being wasted. I don't wanna have to have those conversations anymore. I want you to be set free, which is what the Bible tells us in this, is that we can be set free and have been set free. If our faith is in Christ, we've been set free from sin. In fact, I would tell you out of this text that our hope comes when we understand that God loves us, that God has set us free from sin, and that God has given us a purpose. If you wanna find hope, we need to understand those three things, that God loves us, God has freed us from our sins and God has given us a purpose. Those are the things that we need to really recognize. Number one is that God loves us. We need to understand that it is a personal love. It's easy for us to sit here, somebody say, God loves you despite you, even though the things you've done may be deplorable, maybe, maybe they've been horrifying. But here's the reality, God loves you. It's easy for us to sit here and say, well, that's true for them or them or us as a whole, but God is a personal God. We see that in the Trinity. I told you that was important. God has related within himself, within the three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit for eternity. It shows us that he's a God of personal relationships. That's why relationships are important to us. See, our relationships um, being important to us didn't make us create a God who is personal. God who is personal created us to desire relationships. And so when we see that, we understand God is a personal God. He personally loves you to the point he knows the number of hairs on your head, to the point that he, he knows all of your days and he cares about every one of them, every second. And so I want you to understand that he loves us personally. I want you to understand that he is indeed the faithful witness. And it testifies to God's plan of love. It testifies to God's, God's plan of salvation. And he, Jesus reveals these things to us. I want you to grab hold of it and see that today God speaks to you in that way. Look at Romans 5, 6 through 10 with me. Romans chapter 5. Because this to me is, is one of the, the sections of scripture that shows the love of God um, maybe clearer than, than any other. I mean, it's so clear to see it in here. 
Romans 5, verse 6, listen to this, because first I want you to see where we were, okay? First I want you to see where we were. In Romans 5, 6, it says, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That word right there for ungodly, literally it means rebellious. In other words, he's saying we were all rebellious people. We all rebelled against God. And it says in verse seven, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But listen to this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, when he talks about sinners right there, he, he's not only referring to the rebellious, he's talking about people who've missed the mark. Um, it's an, an archery term to shoot an arrow and miss the target. And, and so he's saying in this, that we've missed the point of our creation. We've missed the whole reason that we were made. He's saying that we were sinners missing the mark. In verse nine, he says, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So now we see three different things that he tells us. One is that we were ungodly and rebellious. Two, we were sinners. We missed the whole point of our creation. And three, we were enemies of God, meaning that we were hostile towards him because we didn't want his authority over our life. And he was hostile to us because in his justice and his righteousness, he has to judge sin. Now see, that's the point in which we should just leave and go home, right? Y'all rebellious sinners who missed the mark and are enemies of God. See you next week. But there's more. And it says in verse six, see, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. I read something this week that talked about how um, you can really see the value somebody places on something by the size of the gift that they give. And the difference in how valuable the gift is and how unworthy the recipient is shows how big the love is. Does that make sense? So that the, 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 the value of the gift and the unworthiness of the recipient shows how great the love is of the giver. Well, he gave, God gave, God the Father sent his son, the best gift he could have possibly sent to people who were rebellious sinners who'd missed the mark and the whole point of their creation and were enemies of God. How incredible is the love of God? In fact, if you wanna see how incredible the love of God is, look at verse eight, because God demonstrates his love for us through the cross. And so when we look at the cross, there's no way we can deny the love of God, the personal love of God, because God himself gave himself so that you and I could be made righteous and made right with him. I am preaching better than y'all are, amen. One person. All right, y'all know I struggle with depression. Y'all gonna make me all kind of sad up here. All right, so the next one, Lynn, I said the hope comes when one, we begin to understand that God loves us and two, when we understand that we've been freed from sin. We understand we've been freed from sin. Again, that verse there, it says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Um, I have a, you've never, if you've ever questioned in my redneck, I'm about to go ahead and seal the deal for you. But when I was in, in college, uh, we used to uh, do a lot of coon hunting, right? I would say raccoon hunting, it just, it just doesn't have the same ring to it, you know? Uh, so we, we would go uh, um, coon hunting, we would raise dogs, we raised um, uh, these 
puppies and everything. And, and so we went and, and we would trap raccoons. And so we would trap them in these little cages and then we use those to train the puppies. Um, I would make a disclaimer that no raccoons were harmed during this procedure, but that'd be a lie. So anyway, we, we would let the raccoons go and we let the puppies see them and then they, they chase them and that's how we would train these dogs. Well, one day we caught one, he was in the cage and uh, we, we caught him and they were kind of mean at times. And so I um, went over and I opened the cage and I backed up from it and he just sat there. It's like, I ain't sticking my hand in there. So I just walked up and kind of nudged the cage a little bit, shook it and rattled it and me and my buddy are standing there. And finally the raccoon runs out. He runs out about 10 yards and he turns around and he's like looking at us. It almost like, you want some of me? That's kind of how I felt. And so he was looking at us. Um, and, and, and so then my buddy decides, I know what I'll do. I'll chase him away. And so he takes off running. Now you got to picture this. We had the headlight shining across this field. And, and so I see him chasing the raccoon out of the headlights. And then a second later, I see him running back into the headlights with the raccoon chasing him. And I was thinking about that in light of this text, in light of us being free from our sin, that many times Jesus has opened the door for us to live a free life, to live separated from sin, to not have to live that way any longer. But like that raccoon, we just sat there in the cage. We just stay in that place. And rather than moving on and following Christ, we just end up sitting there. And oftentimes we end up like my buddy, where we feel like the sin is just running after us. But the Bible says that if we'll resist the devil, he will flee from us. So there is hope. There there is a way, but we can't just sit there and think that somehow this sin is going away. And the reason we can't just think that it's going away is because sin is a law in our life. Romans 7 talks about this. This sin is a law. It's like this. If I were to jump off of this stage, what would happen? Other than possibly breaking an ankle. I'm going to hit the ground, right? I'm going to jump off. I'm going to hit the ground. Why? Because of gravity. Because the law of gravity is going to take over and I'm going to hit the ground. I'm not going to just float off into space. And so the reality of it is that that's a law. In the same way, there's a law of sin that works in our lives. This law is not going away until Jesus returns, sets up his kingdom and finally does away with, with uh, death and with hell and with Satan. It's going to be there. Sometimes we think that if I get saved and I give my life to Christ and he frees me from sin, I'll never, I'll never struggle with sin again. And that's just not true because sin is a law that's always going to come against us. We need to also understand that sin is a war. And see, we need to make it a war. Sometimes people will tell me, well, I, I don't struggle with sin. And here's the thing, my response back to them, then you're not making it a war. Because we all have this struggle. But the question is, is it a battle? Is the spirit of God in? us because of our faith in Christ so that the spirit wars against the flesh, so that the spirit wars against the sin that we have in our lives. Because see, here's the reality. If our, the spirit of God is in us, we're going to have this war going on within us as well. Because the law of sin is going to come against us. Sin is going to come against us. But if the spirit of God is in us, then we're going to battle that. And, and there's going to be a battle that takes place inside of us. So we need to understand that sin is a war. Sin is a law. Sin is also a prison that binds us up, that holds us in. Somehow we figure and we think that, that if I, if I um, sin, it's going to be good. And see, the lie is that sin isn't fun. If, if, if sin's not fun, you're doing it wrong. The reality for Christians is this. Sin might have a temporary um, 
happiness to it, but it can't provide you eternal joy. And, and here's the reality. You can go and sin as a Christian. You just can't enjoy it because the spirit of God speaks to you and the spirit of God begins to draw you. And the spirit of God convicts us that we're not living according to the new nature that we've been given. And we're imprisoned by that. And someone can say, well, sin's not a prison to me, then stop. If you're not ensnared by it, then just quit. But we can't because sin becomes a prison in our life. Where's the hope in this, right? If this is true about sin, all these things, then how can we really be freed from sin? Number one, we've got to realize this, that love has brought forgiveness. See, as, as the Bible says two different times, God is the God who is, who was, and who is to come. The great news about Jesus being an eternal savior is that he has forgiven our sins in the past, he's given, forgiven our sins in the present, and he's forgiven our sins in the future. And so we've been forgiven. It's a complete forgiveness um, that goes on from now through eternity and as far back as we were when we were born to forgive us of our sins. The second thing we need to see is that we've been freed from sin and now we've received an empowerment by the Holy Spirit. Not only did Jesus die for our sins, not only did he ascend to the Father and make intercession for us, but he also sent his spirit to live in us so that we have a power that's greater than the force of gravity, right? We have a power that is greater than the, the law of sin and death. We have a power that overcame it and the demonstration of that was Jesus coming out of the grave so that we have a greater power in our lives. When the Bible speaks here of the seven spirits or the sevenfold spirits, meaning the Holy Spirit, people uh, will tell you that that is referring back to Zechariah chapter four, verses one through 10. And I wanna turn there just a second, but for you to understand where we're at, I wanna set it up for you. Zechariah was a prophet when God was sending the Israelites who'd been taken captive because of sin back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. The temple had been destroyed and God was sending them back. He specifically called a man by the name of Zerubbabel to go back and to begin to rebuild this temple. But as they began to rebuild, they began to have opposition to, the, to this rebuilding. And so um, they began to stop their building. They just quit. So they got the foundation laid. Then they just quit because there was opposition. There was oppression. There were threats. There were all kinds of things going on. So God raises up Zechariah a prophet and Haggai a prophet and it's sort of to go and give them a kick in the rear end to get them going again. And in this text, um, you're going to hear some language about oil and you're going to hear about seven channels um, to lights. Basically what he's referring to is the Holy Spirit. Okay, and I want you to see what the promise of the Holy Spirit is here that John brings out in Revelation. It says in verse four, um, I asked the angel who talked with me. This is Zechariah. It says, what are these, my Lord? Asking about the oil and the seven channels to the lights and those things. He says, do you not know what these are? And see, that's where my mouth would have got me in trouble. Because I'd have been like, if I knew, I wouldn't have asked, right? And so um, he says, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I replied. He said, so he said to me, 
This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. See, the first thing we need to understand about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is that it trumps our strengths and our weaknesses. It is greater. What basically God is telling Zerubbabel here in this text is you're not gonna be able to do it by conventional means. You're not gonna be able to do it by willpower. You're not gonna be able to do it with your skills and the crafts and the things that you are able to pull off by your What he's telling him here is it's not by power nor by might within yourself. It's by the spirit of God that is going to come upon you and going to do this great work. And just as God was going to finish his building through Zerubbabel, um, this temple, this physical temple, this building, God will also finish building his temple. You, us, the church in the same way through the power of his spirit. And so he works the same way working through us, his strength, his power trumps our strengths and weaknesses. Verse seven, what are you, O mountain, O mighty mountain before Zerubbabel? You will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. He's saying basically that even the mountains that you face, even the mountains that you're up against, even those fail in comparison to the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, Zechariah, the mount, or Zerubbabel, the mountains that you're facing, they're, they're not going to be able to stop the work of God. I would encourage you that the mountain you're facing, the thing that you're, you're up against is not able to stop God and the plan he has for your life. Submit your life to him. Allow the spirit of God to work in you. Allow him to do something in you and through you that all of your power and all of your might and all of the wisdom of the world cannot do and that only God can do. But we've got to give ourselves fully and completely to him so that this spirit works in us, surrendered, submitted, and saying, yes, Lord, now tell me what I need to do. Verse eight, then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundations of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. I've made reference to this many times already in this message, but I want you to see that the Holy Spirit is the one who finishes what Jesus started church continues today because the church, the body of believers that Jesus started, the Holy Spirit has continued. Jesus um, started a work in your life. The Holy Spirit will finish it. This brings me so much hope. I've told you on days when things don't seem to be going the way I think they ought to go. When I'm up against my own mountain and my own things and my own struggles, one of the things I realize is that he's going to finish the work that he's began. And we hold on and we keep moving. Verse 10, who despises the day of small things? Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. See, so many times we get in this place where we think, man, I'm so far in the hole. Can I ever get out? I I got really busy about, I don't know, towards the end of last year and I quit working out and I quit um, running and doing everything and put on some weight, you know, started, my pants started getting tighter, started having to go to different belt loops, you know, that whole thing, right? And, uh, and, and now the struggle for me is to think about it and go, you know what, if I go work out today, it's not gonna make any difference, right? I'm not gonna go like, right? No, but here's the thing. And it's just like this in our spiritual life. Many times we look at the hole, we look at the mountain and we're like, I don't think I can make it. If I do anything about it today, it's not really gonna make a difference. But what we do is we underestimate taking that one little step, that one little step, 
just moving towards God. And sometimes we feel like we take one little step and then take two big steps back. But you know what you do then? You take one little step and then you take one more little step. And those little steps begin to add up in your faith journey. And in the end, you end up being transformed and shaped differently, just like in a physical exercise, our spiritual exercise begins to work in us and through us. And it begins to transform the inside of us. Then it begins to transform the outside of us. And then not only has he done a great work in us, he begins to do a great work through us. And so we need to see that the spirit of God works in these small little ways to bring out great testimonies in our lives. If we had despised small beginnings, we never would have made it past December of 2008 because it doesn't get much smaller than seven people and five of them being family at our first meeting, right? But God takes small things and one step at a time, he begins to build and he begins to do and he does the same thing in all of our lives when we simply take that next step. Back to Revelation. Here's where our hope lies. It's one in the forgiveness and two it's in the empowerment and three, in the deliverance of sin, that God can deliver us. We'll never be free from temptation and, and sin will always come against us until that day when Jesus reestablishes his kingdom. But we can understand this, that God has set us free and sin no longer has a hold on us and we can walk free of that. So we understand he loves us. Hope comes when we understand he loves us. Hope comes when we understand he's freed us from sin and the last one, Hope comes when we understand he's given us a purpose. See, the Bible says that he called us and made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. It says to him be glory and power forever and ever, amen. And you can ask this question, how does having a purpose help me overcome sin struggles? How does me having a purpose help me keep moving when circumstances are up against me? How does me having a purpose give me hope? Here's how that happens. Anytime that you um, have a purpose or you have a focus or you have a goal or you have something you're working towards, it automatically eliminates choices, right? For example, the best way I know to describe this to you, um, one time I ran a 5K. I ran one 5K in my whole life, as you probably would have guessed, either zero or one. And the only reason I did it, I didn't want to do it, but I had a good friend of mine who was like, hey, run the 5K with you. I was like, no. And he was like, come on, man. I said, okay. So I went. I pull up to the 5K and I look and there are people already running. And I was like, we're late. And I got up there and they're like, no, you're not late, they're warming up. And I said, why? I just drank a large cup of coffee with cream and sugar from Dunkin' Donuts and they were running. So our preparation was a lot different. And see, here's the thing, they were there to try to win the race. I was just there trying to get through. I was just there trying to get by. Their preparation and their focus and their determination was a lot different than mine because they had a goal, a very different goal. And it's the same way with us in our spiritual walk. When we realize that God's called us one to be a kingdom, meaning a community of people with one king who live for that king, of people with one head and we're the body doing what he commands us to do, calls us to do, um, imparts to us to do. When we begin to see that and understand that, it gives us a greater purpose in ourselves. And you know, you can't live for God and live for you too. So we have to make choices. It, it causes us to make choices, different choices. It causes us to break different patterns and cycles. And it places us in a community of believers so that we can have victory together. 
And when we look at it, he says he called us to be priests. And that can be confusing until you really begin to understand what the priest did in the Old Testament. One of the things that the priests did was they, had, they were the ones who had full access to God. And so the great thing about it is that you and I can go to God um, on our own. We don't have to have some priest go to God for us. We can all have that access. He also tells us that in the Old Testament that they were the ones who did the sacrifices. And we talked about that, offering all of our lives as a sacrifice to God. They were also the worship leaders. They were the ones who wore skinny jeans and V-necks. You'll get yours when we leave today, we'll pass those out. But are we leading people to worship God? See, we have a purpose. They were mediators between God and man. Today, we still mediate from the standpoint of praying for people, loving people, being the hands and feet of Christ, drawing people to Jesus. And being priests in the pattern, in the likeness of Christ, we're to become like him. And so I want you to see that, man, you've been given a great purpose to be a kingdom, to be a people. You've been given a great purpose to be priests for God, the most high God, bringing him glory and serving him all the days of our lives and into eternity. That's what God's called us to. If we're gonna do that, we have to come humbly to God. Listen, we've gotta drop our self-righteous facade and admit our need for God. You can't act like you have it all together and experience the freedom of God. If you wanna do it in your own strength, he'll let you try. But the reality of it is none of us can. So we come humbly to the Lord, dropping this self-righteous facade and we cry out to Jesus. God, we need you. The one thing on my heart this morning when we, I met with our prayer team, we always pray at 8.30 on Sunday mornings for the services. The one thing that was in my heart was I just need Jesus. I need Jesus. And so you don't need another message. You don't need something else to do. You need Christ. You need him, you need to cry out to him. And so we cry out to Jesus. And then the last thing is to cry out to the body, to cry out to the believers. So we humble ourselves, we drop a self-righteous facade, we cry out to Christ, and then we cry out to the other believers because we can't do this alone. That's why God put us in the body so we can do this together. And so here's, here's my, my two questions to you today. Number one, what is the mountain in your life? Jesus said the faith of a mountain seed, or a mountain seed, the faith of a mustard seed can move mountains. What is the mountain in your life that you need to humble yourself, drop the self-righteous facade, cry out to Jesus and come and let the body of believers help you with, to be there for you, to walk with you? What is that in your life? And number two, are you a part of the kingdom? Do you have a king named Jesus? Because that's what he is. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Have you come to that place of saying yes to him, yes to Christ, yes to him as your King, as the Lord, as your Savior? And have you embraced him as that? Have you recognized the love he has for you? Have you recognized the fact that he can free us from those sins and from death and from hell and the grave? And have you recognized not just what you were saved from, but what you were saved for, a great purpose in Christ? 
Because here's the first opportunity is to say yes to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I don't know, man, maybe you've never said yes to him before, but today God has been speaking to your heart. Today God is speaking to your heart and you know that today is the day of salvation and I need to, I need to respond. I need Jesus in my life. Maybe you're where I was at, at that, that prayer time when I was just like, I just need Jesus. I just need more Jesus. I just need more of him. But I wanna ask you, you're here, you've never said yes to him. He's not the king of your life, but today you wanna say yes and make him the king. And just receive his invitation. This is what I want you to do. I just want you to stick your hand up in the air. Eyes open, everybody looking around. I want you to stick your hand up and say, yeah, today I need Christ. Today I need Jesus in my life and I'm never Never been there before, but today I want to say yes. Would you stick your hand up high? I've already seen one this morning. Where is it? I missed it. Wave at me. Who else? I didn't see the hand, so I hope our prayer team did. Who else? Here's the opportunity for the rest of us then. It's to humble ourselves before the Lord and say yes to dropping the self-righteous facade and to say, God, I need you. And to let somebody walk with you through this, to pray for you. And so this is what I wanna do. I'm gonna ask our prayer team. They're gonna come over here to my right to your left, to these doors. I'm gonna pray. And listen, you need prayer for something. You need prayer, this mountain that you're up against. You need prayer of any type. I don't know if it's a sin that's plagued you, a circumstance you're in, what you're facing. We'd love to pray for you. I don't want you to leave here without that. And when I say amen, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would realize what God has done for us and we would leave this place with hope and with just an attitude of thanksgiving for what God's done. So I'm gonna pray. If you need prayer today, I'm gonna ask you to move. I'm gonna ask you to go and let us pray with you. Let us walk with you. Let the body be the body today for you. Let's pray. God, I thank you. Thank you for your love and grace in our lives. Thank you, God, that we don't have to pretend with you and we don't have to pretend with uh, the, the people of the church. God, this ought to be the one place we can be vulnerable, the one place we can be open. So God, I ask that, that today you give us great boldness to move, that you give us great boldness to take a step of faith and allow others to pray for us. That God, that you would give us a, a, just a boldness to um, say, I'm not gonna live under this weight any longer. A great boldness to say, I'm, I'm gonna just trust that the Lord and the power of his spirit by his power and might, not by mine, that he's gonna move this mountain. And God, I pray that we would take a step of faith. I pray, God, for people right now who their marriage is struggling, God. I don't want to hear about another marriage that's, that's, that's gone just into the depths, Lord. I, I want us to be a, a church and a people who, who are bound together by your spirit, including our marriages. God, for marriages that are um, in trouble, I pray, God, that you would begin to move in a great way in them, God, that, that they would turn their eyes upon you, begin to walk after you, and that you would bring the people into their lives that need to be there to help make them whole and restore them, Jesus. God, I pray for 
um, people who are just up against financial burdens. God, I pray that you'd give us wisdom as to how to handle our finances, but you would also provide opportunity, God. God, I pray uh, for people here today who are having struggles maybe with their children. Lord Jesus, I pray that uh, God, one, we would be able to model um, a father, model a mother um, after you. I pray, God, that we would be able to also um, live uh, lives that reflect your glory to our kids. And God, that they would see that, that they would be able to recognize that. So Jesus, I pray, God, whatever we're up against, whatever we're struggling with, Jesus, just do what you can do. Intervene, move mountains. And we trust you to do that through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.